the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 930 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host. She is executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, serves as uh, not only in that role, but as a spokesperson on issues involving aging and caregiving, has been honored by Next Avenue as one of 50 influencers on aging. Uh, a tremendous honor for her, as well as for the WellMed Charitable Foundation. And uh, uh, not only is nationally known as a gerontologist, graduate of Trinity University, Oh my gosh! Masters stop, from, stop! Stop! The list masters goes on. from the University of the Incarnate <laughs> Word, and you still have time to come here. That's right. Even That's with so all cool. That, I'm still here. Now your dream of a driverless car is coming. I know. I have to say that's um, your fantasy. That that you know, I was when I heard about the driverless cars and they first started actually testing them. I was like, that that's the technology I want. I want that technology. And and I don't. I know we have laws we need to change and things we need to worry about. But this a I it's going to allow me to still get around in my old age um, as my vision gets worse. But I think it's going to change the the single biggest issue for older folks is inability to drive in the United States where we don't have independence ma- mass transportation. In so places. so uh, have you wondered what your car is thinking about all well, this? Well, that was you know actually this came from uh, something you sent me oh, from Ohio. State. Well, I knew it was for you. Um, and it was like, what is your car thinking? And it was fascinating because it was talking about the choices that your car is going to have to make when it gets into a sticky situation. For anybody um, who saw, no, it was it AI with the, no, I'm saying the wrong movie, the Will Smith movie with the, he's the policeman and the robot takes him out. Um, I don't remember Because he has a more survivable chance than the kid that was in the car. Um, and he's got the robot arm, whatever. I know somebody out there is yelling the name of the movie at me right now. Uh, but th- you know, those are the kind of choices. So they're saying if you've got a choice between hitting a pedestrian or hitting the other car, so what's your car going to choose? It has to, it's, you know, something's going to happen. And these are the choices. Pedestrian, no, nothing around them, no crash helmet. Other car, oh, you got a much, it's more survivable. And so, you know, that's one thing the car might have to think about. We have to think about the ethics of it. Uh, but the other thing that they mention in the article is that, you know, the people designing these cars have to really think about everything. Um, and how do you put the best effort into mitigating or, you know, making the least amount of bad happen out of 100% of the accidents? Because we're a very litigious society. We are. And, you know, if your car makes the wrong choice, you know, if you save Will Smith, you should have saved the kid instead. Um, you know, is how crashworthy are they and, and the decisions they have to make. But just the thought that your car has to make a decision that's life and death, uh, the, you know, the best of two bad choices is, is actually does give one pause, even those of us who are in favor of driverless cars. And will they build in a human override so you could take control if you had to? Well, I have read, yes, that that will be there. Absolutely. There are situations where, you know, people really do need to be the decision makers. Um, and the way they're going to get us to pay attention to what the car is doing is put everything in the dashboard the way it is now. And, and whereas now everything in the dashboard is a distraction, the music in the movies, well, in this way, they you'll be looking, at, you know, doing your email, watching a movie, doing something that you're looking at the dashboard, and it will tell you, take the car over right now, um, so you don't miss your opportunity to throw it into gear yourself and save the day. So it'll have to let you know that's a decision the car oh, has I'm to make. Oh, I'm sure it's going to have, you know, the seatbelt alarm 
I'm thinking something even more annoying than that to alert you to danger, danger, Will Robinson. Wow. Or Will Smith. How important are morning moods? Well, that may seem like a non sequitur. How important are morning moods? You know, for all of us, have woken up in a bad mood, right? And you've had a bad day. Has that ever happened to you? Where you woke up in a bad mood and you just felt like the whole day was off kilter and it was a bad day? Yes, bad day. You had a bad day, like the song says. Um, So apparently, it's not just, you know, the feeling, it really does happen. And uh, again, this was some research on people in bad moods when they got to work. What happens then? So if you were like, say, in a call center, it's not like all of the mean, nasty people are calling your phone at the call center. But it feels like that to you. You're interpreting it as all of my calls. You know, I'm getting all the bad people today. Um, And so I think as caregivers, that probably sounds pretty familiar that we wake up and we're having a bad day. Um, So that's an opportunity, number one, to try to reframe our day. Um, We have some culture training at WellMed, and we talk about the mood elevator. And the mood elevator can be down in the basement where everything is dark and you're mad and you're frustrated and all of those negative moods. And so the if you to get the first mood above ground level is curious. You just get to I wonder why all of my customers today are mean nasty people or I wonder why the person I'm caring for is not doing anything I'm telling that person or is you know having all these accidents or you know so curious is there something going on medically? Did he wake up in a bad mood and having a bad day? Is there something I can do to change the dynamic that's going on so far? Maybe we should get in the car and go to the park and drive around in the sunshine until something soaks in. I mean, But it's that kind of thinking. How do I intervene in this day? And if you intervene and nothing happens and you do have a bad day, then what can you do at the end of today to make tomorrow not be a bad day? Like, this is, I'm guilty of not allowing enough time to get places so that I'm mad at everybody and I'm rushing around because I failed to plan and allow enough time. So if that's causing me to be in the bad mood, I've got control of that. I have a friend uh, who I will name because everybody knows, as does she, this is her problem. Susan Yerke is a well-known writer and personality in San Antonio. Is always late. Always late. Would be late for her own funeral if, God forbid, it's her funeral. Oh, the body's not here yet. It's on the way. That would be Susan. And can you correct that yourself? Can you take control of your life and fix that? Well, you could, right? Well, you well, could. you well, you can. And sometimes you just have to change your thinking, like me being the impatient driver um, in the article, uh, also from Ohio State, uh, was talking about, you know, if, every, if all the drivers are driving you crazy around because you're running late, realize, you know what? Is ma- as late as you are, they must be even later. They must have something even more important. And so bless them and send them on their way and hope that they get there. You ever wonder about the uh, person who roars past you, flipping the digital salute out the window, what it must be like to live and work with them? Uh, yeah, and, and, and that's right. That and then, the and they're just starting out. You know, that's, right. that's the bad wow. day in now, the morning. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we're picking some interesting headlines from the news. And Carol found one that is very important and useful, whether you're a caregiver or not. Five things to help you cope with too much stress. Right. So we're and gonna, they don't involve alcohol. They, well, I'm looking. Nope, no alcohol. Um, and we're going to move universities. We're going to move from Ohio State to the University of Southern California for this one. Um, five brilliant tricks to help you cope with too much stress. Um, and the first one, and, and this is probably hard for caregivers, is get eight hours of sleep. Or how about get some sleep if you're a caregiver? You've got to increase your sleep. Um, I, I know my own uh, therapist will... <laughs> When I come and I've had a really bad day and I'm in the bad mood, see last story, um, we'll say, are you getting enough sleep? Because if you're not, then everything is worse. So, you know, you got to get some sleep. Um, get moving. Again, what does exercise is the magic bullet? Taking that walk, getting out, getting moving. Um, that's really, that's number two. And then how about getting a little help from your friends? Your friends ever get you out of a bad mood or or you feel better after you've spent some time talking to them? They try. 
They don't. I'm rarely in a bad mood, so well, this is I'm the true. wrong one. I, I, I really, you scratch me, I'm happy. He's <laughs> just a little behind the ears, and Ron is like, I'm good. <laughs> I'm, really I'm good. Happy. He was in the animal yeah. business and the way leg moves, too so long. Scratch me the leg way, moves. <laughs> way too long. So, spend, get a little help from your friends. That's what friends are for, that whole size social isolation, right. interaction. There's truth in that. How about smile? Um, there actually is a little bit of science behind if you, you know, fake it till you make it. <laughs> Uh, if you put a smile on your face, it actually might help people at least respond to you more positively. Norman Cousins wrote a whole book about that. That's right. And happiness. And then, um, you know what? As caregivers, another hard thing to do is say no. Um, don't accept one more thing. Um, when they tell your loved one says, I don't, I don't want somebody, I don't want anybody else but you to take care of me, um, say, well, I'm sorry, but I have to have, you know, some time off. So that I don't kill you, <laughs> or something <laughs> right. to that effect. No, that's <laughs> something like that. Yeah, in fact, right. uh, most abuse <laughs> of care recipients are the caregivers. Well, so well, you're you know, right. there, there there's some caregiver abuse going on. Yeah. We have talked about that. So you know, dealing with stress is tough, and and don't doing nothing is really not an option when you're stressed out. So get some sleep, get some help. Just say no, um, and maybe things will be better. As the naked mole rat said to his friend, I wish I had a coat. <laughs> yes. I only had a coat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's cold in this cage. <laughs> so as you take a look at uh, an aging society, more and more of us slowly but surely become patients. Well, and we caregivers go to a lot of medical appointments. Tons. Tons of medical appointments. And, um, you know, there's something called informed consent. Okay, so now we need to do a procedure, and this is where the physician goes, da 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 yada, 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 and, and you say, sign uh-huh, here. and they say, sign here, and you sign, and you really had no idea what they said. You, neither you, right. You're the caregiver right. with your care recipient. I have no idea. Right. And so, you know, this is just a request um, that actually bad things can happen if you don't understand what you're saying yes to in a medical environment. And so to do a better job of being an informed decision maker, caregiver, patient, um, ask, let people know you don't understand or you weren't listening. I wasn't listening to you. Um, Please say that again. You know, ask for common words and terms. Uh, Say, you know, I don't, all those medical terms, I certainly don't know what they are. Uh, uh, Summarize back what you heard. Thank you. I heard you saying this procedure is going to do this. The risks are that. And after you're finished, I need to do this. Um, and see if you're right or in the ballpark, which would be lovely. Ask for it in writing or pictures or a video. Can I go on YouTube and see this procedure? Um, ooh, I would not ask for that, but you might be interested. Um, get the best case, worst case scenario. I mean, you know, if, the, if it goes well and if it, things go south, what does that look like? What does that mean for me as the caregiver and for my loved one? Um, f- try to find someone who's had the same surgery and, and ask them. Another scary thing, because people always have stories that maybe you shouldn't hear. Um, and then ask if there are alternatives. If what you've heard um, scares you, then ask for alternatives and, and always take notes. And if you, the caregiver, have got too much responsibility for your loved one to take notes, take somebody else. Heck, three of you can cram in there and take, you know, get a note taker. Uh, don't just not know what's going on. We're going to talk with Nurse Carol White in just a moment. Dr. White, a specialist in caring for the caregiver. Uh, the reason I haven't had surgery on my knee that hurts 24-7 is because of all the stories I've heard about people who had surgery on their knees, including a friend of yours who had an awful thing happen to her husband. You mean like death? Yeah, like death. Yes. Right? Yes. So but I've been holding I, off. Hold it, having knee surgery. See, this you got to be careful who you talk to. Exactly. <laughs> I've been holding off. Holding off. Well, we'll talk to Carol instead. She'll make you feel better. Maybe she will. She Caring will. for the caregiver coming up on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zerniel. We're on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment 
in time to take care of them in the office. And I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke. I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Well, we are so pleased you have stuck with us here on Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, blowing out poor Carol Zerniel's ears. We can get that turned down just a little bit. Our co-host here is Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS on Air. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And we're delighted, as we promised, to welcome Carol White, Dr. White, a professor of nursing and leads the School of Nursing's Caring for the Caregiver program at UT Health. Used to be the UT Health Science Center an entertainer formerly known as Prince. The program itself includes uh, an effort to understand what caregiving is all about and trying to provide care for the caregiver. Dr. White earned her Ph.D. from McGill University up north, specialized there in epidemiology, and her undergraduate degree from the University of Saskatchewan, spelled with an S. Been in San Antonio for 14 years, and we have another special guest here as well, uh, Sharon Rivette, was a caregiver uh, assisting you in the program. Nice to see both of you, Sharon. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. So thank you for coming in. Tell us, for 14 years, what have you been doing? So I've been working at UT Health San Antonio. Delighted to be there. I worked in stroke for the first seven years while I've been while I was there, working on a large study looking at um, prevention of stroke, working with family caregivers there, and then I've been at the School of Nursing for the last seven years and have been very very fortunate to be leading the care for the care, caring for the caregiver program at the School of Nursing. Now, how did that develop? Because as Carol and I talk. For, for years now on Caregiver SOS On Air, uh, the one category of people who never care for themselves are caregivers. Mm-hmm. So how did you all get involved in this? So as I, I've been a neuroscience nurse all my career, and I think working in that area gave me an acute understanding of how illness never just affects the individual but affects the family and the family affects the individual with the illness as well. So for my PhD thesis, I looked at um, developing a better understanding of the quality of life of people with stroke and continued to do that research really looking at family caregivers of stroke survivors. And then at the university, there was an opportunity as they were thinking about um, establishing the Glenn Biggs Institute for Alzheimer's and Neurodegenerative Diseases to and to really develop a caregiver program within that. This is a particular disease where families are, are impacted. And so because I was the person who had a lot of caregiver experience at the School of Nursing, I was fortunate to be asked to lead this team. Well, what's the goal of the Caring for the Caregiver program in the School of Nursing? So our mission is to really um, support family caregivers to support their quality of life and their health. So our three goals at this point are really raising public awareness about family caregiving. Um, I think often caregivers don't identify as family caregivers. It's what they do as spouses, as adult children. It's what I'm supposed to be doing. So if you don't recognize yourself as a family caregiver, you don't ask for support, you don't look for the services that might be available to you. So one thing is really raising awareness of family caregiving. Another thing is supporting caregivers with education, particularly around the time of diagnosis. There's a lot of good education, a lot of good services in this city already. And what we did when we started developing the program, we didn't want to be at the university and say, well, we know what caregivers need. This is what we're going to do. So we spent a lot of time in the community meeting with people like you and Carol and others to say what what's happening in the city, what are the strengths, and where are some of the gaps, and where can we build on those? And so we, our caregiver education program is meant to complement some of the very good programs like Stress Busters and powerful tools for caregivers that are already occurring in this city. Well, Stress Busters comes out of UT Health. Yes, that's correct. Yes, mm-hmm. Dr. Sharon Lewis developed mm-hmm. it while she was there. And a program that uh, caregiver uh, uh, program at WellMed has really uh, partnered with to roll out across the city and now across the country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we, so 
of course, we're not going to duplicate what's already or replicate what's already in our community. So we are now, as the Biggs Institute is being established and launched, we have a calendar where we can refer caregivers to those programs. But we're also, one of the things that caregivers told us is sometimes it's difficult to be able to um, commit to nine weeks of a program. So we're offering weekly education. We have a series of classes that probably are are similar. We have one that's caring for the caregiver. We have, which I think we're going to talk a bit about today, is is um, around the time of a new diagnosis of dementia. What are the things that are important as you take on that role? We also have another another education program that talks about dealing with behavioral cha- challenges and then planning for the future from the start. And where do you offer these programs? So right now we're offering them at the at the Mark, the Medical Arts and Research Center that's just on Floyd Curl. Um, that's where the the Biggs Institute, where it's it's being launched now. There's neurologists who are seeing patients there, so we wanted to to be in that same building. So there, there's a conference room there, and we're offering those on a monthly basis, but starting in February on a weekly basis, so that when somebody is newly diagnosed, the the neurologist can say to them, "I think it would be good for you in the next couple of months to get to this program, just so you can know how to plan ahead and what you need to do." Now, tell me the name of the institute again. The big Biggs, big. It's the Glenn Biggs Institute for Alzheimer's and Neurodegenerative Diseases. And there was a Glenn Biggs. There was Glenn Biggs was um, was a gentleman who who was very involved in UT Health and who who developed Alzheimer's disease and who spoke to the president and said, um, there isn't comprehensive care here. Um, how can, what can we do about this? And then the president, Henrich from the university, went on a fundraising mission to, to raise funds to launch this comprehensive care, which goes from our bar shop with aging research, a lot of stuff at the bench, through to we'll have clinical trials to be able to with caregivers and and individuals suffering from Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. or other dementia to comprehensive clinical cool. care to community care. Let's invite our other guest to join us who's sitting isolated on the other side of the room, and we hate to leave you over there. Let's welcome okay. Sharon Rivette, who is a caregiver who is working on the uh, caregiving, Caring for Caregiver initiative. First of all, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you very much. Glad for to whom do you provide care? I'm a former caregiver of my husband, uh, that had Alzheimer's and passed earlier this year. I'm sorry. Thank you very much. How long were you caring for him? Um, probably full-time, three years, as the disease progressed where he needed companionship all the time, not able to be alone. Uh, the last year of his uh, life, he was in a memory care facility, unable to be at home. What was that like for you, caring for him and then having to put him in a home? Very difficult very painful and it came sooner than I thought we would need to cross that doorway. Three years Carol is pretty short time between beginning treatment and then into a memory unit. Well you know everyone is different um, and often depends on you know the physical condition and the behaviors and you know the house and lots of different variables. Because unfortunately, um, you've had a lot of experience with family members with Alzheimer's. My mother also passed away this year with Alzheimer's, and she was also in a memory care unit. So, you know, it's a diffi- it is a difficult step. It's a big step, but it's a, you know, at some point when we realize it's a necessary, that's the best thing. And, and we're still caregivers after we put our loved mm-hmm. ones in a Abs- unit. Absolutely. And who was caring for you, Sharon? Who was providing? <laughs> look at the smile. That's great. It's, I threw you a high heart one. This is over the fence for you, right? Who was caring for Sharon? I, I think uh, Sharon was caring for Sharon with the Lord's help and some great friends and family. What could you have apart. used? In the beginning, I could have used more education, uh, but I sought ed- educational formats in the way of classroom, Internet, personal reading. Uh, I didn't have friends at the time that had husbands or parents even with Alzheimer's, but I had been working in the medical field for many years, and I knew uh, quite a bit about it from that exposure, and also my mother had a dementia problem that she died 20 years before, but I did not understand, and it wasn't understood much 20 years before. Uh, My husband suffered with dementia problems for many, many years before I was full-time caregiver, but approximately three years was when I had to retire to be that caregiver. 
It was a privilege. It was a privilege, but it's a difficult um, task, and you don't know what day, what is going to be brought to you each day. Helping to provide care for caregivers now is something that you're focused on? I would love to be a part of it because I learned so much of the world. This is a, a big part of my world in the past, but I still feel presently in it. And if I can pass on some wisdom that I have learned and steps I've walked to others and to be helpful, that's what I'm very committed to well, do. Give us a little nugget, a little nugget of wisdom that you've learned. Not to be out there by yourself. Don't feel you are the only one involved in the care of your loved one. The programming that's in San Antonio, you have to reach out for, perhaps, um, but reach out. Do not stay trying to manage it all by yourself. The help is available, and friends and family can be a part of that assistance if you make your needs known. A lot of times we, as caregivers, do not say, I need help. Carol Zorniel, we've talked about this. Toughest words for any caregiver, I need help. That's right. It's so difficult um, because you're just so immersed in providing the help mm-hmm. that, you know, even making the effort to ask for help and it runs through your head and you think, well, you don't want to bother anybody, you know, I, or you don't even think about that. That may be even further than you ever get. You're just so 24-7 involved in care. Carol Zerniel, our co-host, our special guest today, Carol White. Uh, Dr. White is a professor of nursing and leader of the School of Nursing's Caring for Caregiver program at UT Health. And we're joined by caregiver Sharon uh, Rivette, who cared for her husband who had dementia. We're delighted you're with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host, and we're talking about caring for the caregiver with two special guests brought to us courtesy of UT Health. Uh, One of our guests, Dr. Carol White, uh, is a specialist in caring for caregivers, part of the program she directs at UT Health. And we also have uh, Sharon Rivette in our studios. She's a caregiver and uh, provided care until he passed away uh, for her late husband. Carol Zerniel, when you listen to what we're talking about here, it's refreshing to see others who want to jump onto this bandwagon because there's such incredible need to help caregivers. Well, I think it, especially when we, we can talk, maybe I don't know about root cause, but we're certainly at the beginning of the journey um, when we can get to the physicians and the nurses and the practitioners. We can get to the caregivers at time of diagnosis. I mean, backing this all up so that we've got a nice a glide path in front of us, you know, that's and tremendously helpful and, and to ha- incorporate, mm-hmm. and, you know, because what we heard in Washington, D.C. recently is we're not talking to the people that are involved in this, the caregivers and the people that have dementia um, and their needs um, as we're planning for all these services. And Carol White, one of the things I heard you say is very often the need isn't identified until they're already steeped in caregiving. Mm-hmm. That's correct. And so, again, we want to be proactive. If I, I think the success of our program will be when I no longer hear from caregivers. We were at the office. We got a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. Here's two pills. See you in six months. I got home. I didn't know where to turn. So if we can find caregivers there, help them to understand the diagnosis, help them to understand the resources in emphasize the importance of caring for themselves in this process, um, I think then we can help caregivers move along the journey that they're facing. Whose role will it be to provide that education? I think it'll be all health professionals. Um, our skills training workshop that I was speaking about, we're, we're, we've just launched that, but with the funding, we're going to have students, interprofessional students involved, so they're going to learn about geriatrics, they're going to learn about aging, and they're going to learn about the family and the family caregiver and how important it is to involve the family caregiver. Um, Another um, statistic that I hear, um, AARP did did a large study where only one in three caregivers said that anyone asked them, did they need help in caring for their loved one with dementia? And only one in six were asked, what about you? Do you need help? We need to make sure that we we change that by getting to our students who are going to be the future healthcare professionals. One of the things you hear from our caregiver SOS specialists in our 
senior centers, our caregivers who uh, are, are so appreciative when our staff say, so how are you doing? Mm-hmm. What's happening with you? Well, we actually had one caregiver, our elected official was doing a tour uh, and stopped and asked you know, her, she was there with her husband, how are you doing? And she burst into tears and said, you're the first person who's ever asked me how I'm doing, instead of a- asking, how's my husband doing? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a, it's why favorite. is that? Well, why don't we ask? But, you know, it's that, it's that, you know, in, it's that invisibility. And so, you know, for me, yeah. and, and, you know, thinking about, there's person-centered care and there's family-centered care, and we got to you know, I want to lean towards the family-centered care so Sharon, you know, gets a chance to be involved in this conversation. Now, did folks say to you, how are you doing, Sharon? My close circle of friends always ask how I was doing. That was very supportive to me. I knew they were in touch with the physical and the emotional and mental stress that each day brought. And I had wonderful support there. Uh, I had prayer support from them as well. And that... My faith is very strong, and so are the faith of my friends. And the bathing our days with, with the prayer that God would provide what we needed and keeping us safe and strong and bringing help my way, and especially in the last two years of his life, were enormous, enormous help to me. And but when you went in to see your husband's provider, were you included as an equal in those conversations? Not always. Some physicians did not include me. Uh, we experienced the example Carol White gave of getting a diagnosis. Ours was given to us of dementia, and we'll see you in a year. Here's some medication we can try and put him on. And as we were leaving the office, I asked him, so we'll make our follow-up to see you back when? And she said, next year. You can see us this time next year. Uh, I was given no information. I was not offered programming availability. I was not even explained fully where next month or next year would bring us. Well, and I don't think that's unusual. I mean, I, I, again, in, it recently at the Research Summit for Dementia in Washington, D.C., the head of the caregiver group that brought their thoughts to this particular meeting, the woman was saying, you know, I have breast cancer. And when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I was told about my disease. I was referred to a support group. I was referred, you know, to different kinds of all the medical, different types of medical people who'd be working with me. I had this 360 wraparound support for my breast cancer. She said, I take care of my husband who has Alzheimer's. And she basically had the same. She's like, why didn't I, as a caregiver, have the same experience with an Alzheimer's diagnosis Mm -hmm. as I did when I got breast cancer diagnosis? But Carol White's going to fix that, we hope. <laughs> well, first of all, I think there's still a stigma associated with having um, some form of dementia. I think we're 20 years behind where breast cancer was. There was a stigma associated with cancer years ago. Well, you ago. never talked about it. Oh, yeah. When I was so, a kid growing up, yeah. no one ever talked about it. No, and they still, there's a stigma, I think, a little bit what of what Sharon said. She had her close friends, but sometimes even people find their close friends walk away and they lose that support because nobody wants to talk about it. So I think the bedrock of any public health approach is raising awareness. And then with the Biggs Institute, I think the vision of President Henrich is no one will have those experiences. We will have comprehensive care we give there, but obviously we can't provide it. Everything, I mean, it's a, this is a growing global problem, um, so we can't provide everything there, but we, we know now the resources in the community. I didn't know about SOS two years ago. I now can say to caregivers, this is a resource for you in the community, and we can make sure that people get hooked up very, very early. And what about educating providers? That's another part of our, our of our overall plan is, and again, everyone will not be able to get all their care always at the bigs, and there's many, many good practitioners throughout the city, but I think... Actually, something I heard at the summit a couple of years ago was that when you think of the amount of things that any kind of a healthcare professional needs to learn within their career, very little is, or within their education, very little is focused on dementia. So our role will be to do CMEs, continue to do things that raise awareness and education for that group within our South Texas community. CMEs are educational programs? Yes, yes. 
For the medical, on the medical side of the house. Right. And nursing, there's right. also nursing education. So I think we, we have a responsibility, an obligation at the university to ensure that we help with education throughout South Texas. With an aging population, which we have, more people 65 and over than 18 and under, and growing at 10,000 a day, baby boomers turning 65, you would think there'd be more focus and more interest because dementia tracks age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You'd think. I think one of the issues, again, it's always... <laughs> I love the Canadian accent. You'd think. <laughs> you'd think there would be, since we're all going in that direction. We are. Um, Some of us have passed that. <laughs> that would be Will Sansom in the studio. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that, you know, the bottom line often is, is how much you can bill for a session. And most people are seeing people in 15 minutes, so they barely address the patient problems and never get to the caregiver. Mm -hmm. So I think as politically as people see this growing tsunami, um, I'm, there needs to be pressure to change that kind of an environment. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, you know, what I've been telling our well-med physicians is, yes, you know, I think a lot of times there, it's a long conversation. I think mm -hmm. you're absolutely right about that. Um, and there's not an effective treatment mm -hmm. for Alzheimer's. And so what can we do about it? And I will say, well, you know, there may be very little you can do right now for the patient, but you can still save the caregiver, you know, by referring to resources, by getting that education um, and connecting them to get that extra information and education. You know, you may save the care, literally save the caregiver um, as you're dealing with this. And I think there's also, by getting a timely diagnosis, there's, there's a lot, even though we don't have medications, there's a lot that be can be can be done for the patient. I think not knowing what's wrong with you, um, feeling distressed, getting a diagnosis now opens resources to you in the community, also allows you with your family to talk about how you want to live your life and That's have right. those conversations early while the patient is still able to have that conversation. I think there's nothing more difficult for caregivers when, as the person progresses, that they didn't have those conversations and they don't they're left making decisions that they're not sure is the right one. Yeah. Well, what would you have liked to have known, Sharon, as you began that journey with your husband? Hindsight being twenty twenty, take you back to then, what is it you would have benefited from knowing? Well, probably more education in the very, very beginning than what I sought out a little bit further down the line. I was fortunate to attends the uh, caregiver summit and other classes and through the summit I learned uh, no actually it was through uh, Northside ISD classes that an elder law attorney spoke one evening and gave us a great deal of information that opened up the urgency that I had not had <clears throat> but became aware I needed to have in the legal matters like what from uh, changing wills, perhaps, to uh, the legality with ownership of your assets. Um, and that's a very complicated world when you know nothing of it. You have to seek out an elder law attorney who is very experienced in this world, and I was fortunate enough to do that. And uh, she gave me a tremendous help and guidance and walked me down that path. Well, thank you. We are just about out of time. What haven't we asked you that you'd like to toss in in the last minute? So the one thing I didn't talk about is support and support groups. And caregivers have told me nobody really understands my situation like somebody who's gone through it. So helping and encouraging caregivers to find support groups where they can get the information and support from their peers. It's an endorsement for the Caregiver Teleconnection Program. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, any of the caregiver services, um, and it, regardless if you live in San Antonio or not, there are resources in your community. Go to eldercare.gov and find your local caregiver program. And most are free. Almost all are free. Hopefully. We hope. <laughs> we hope. Well, the WellMed programs are free. The WellMed programs and are free. And the Caregiver SOS programs are free. Right. That's cool. Well, thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. Carol White. It was a privilege to be here. Thank, thank you, you so Dr. much. Thank you, Dr. White. And Sharon, it's great to meet you as well. Thank you so much for coming in and, and sharing your story and, and the you. challenges that you faced. This is Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zerniel, our co-host. Up next, Take 10 with Dr. Jamie Heisman. 
You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner. What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're, you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well, I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. We are rocking along right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Time now for Take 10, which follows each and every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air programs when nationally known psychotherapist Dr. Jamie Heisman joins us, an expert on caregiving and addictions as well, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. And Carol, you got a pretty good topic here that spins off something we were talking about earlier with our guest here on Caregiver SOS On Air. What in the world do you do and how do you handle it when... Hope and joy comes in the middle of all the stuff that goes with caregiving. Right. So caregiving, you know, for, particularly if you're in a, in a difficult situation, someone with cancer, someone with Alzheimer's, late-stage Alzheimer's, um, you know, pick an illness, ALS, multiple sclerosis, somebody that's really it's, it's just a very physically or mentally demanding caregiving situation. Um, and we were talking to Lorna about... Uh, how, you know, she was trying to find peace, hope, and joy in the middle of all this blackness and darkness. So does that even make sense, Jamie? You know, it it actually does. Um, interesting enough, we always come at this healthy caregiver or non-healthy caregiver um, from an assumptive place. So we, we usually see caregivers being surprised by caregiving, like a two-by-four, you know, hitting them at the time when they least suspect it. And and also disproportionately, people have not taken care of their mind, their body, and their soul, um, their spirit, if you will, um, once they become a caregiver. So we kind of take it, I mean, I say we, the collective caregiver organizations around the country, that people aren't as healthy as we'd like them to be as they enter this extraordinarily difficult time that most of them tend to neglect themselves. But there are those who have actually done what they were supposed to do, that actually did see a therapist, that has some balance in their life, that is receptive to find good uh, or the, the glass half full instead of half empty. And, and actually, I believe that that's the person you're talking about in this segment. So, you know, it seems very yin and yang, uh, hope and joy, illness, imminent death. You know, is there some truth to the, you know, uh, to you can't appreciate the good unless you have the bad? I mean, do you have to have both? Is it, you know, um, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, how do people get to a place when they're, they're only surrounded with bad that they can lift themselves up and see the good? Well, that is, uh, that's an interesting thing. It's, um, disease and sometimes, um, you know, extraordinarily challenging times like being a caregiver. Um, confusion, lack of concentration in your life, not, you know, not being healthy. These are all sort of lily pads, if you will, if you can look at it like that, as to uh, brighter times ahead, that the tunnel actually is not going to remain a tunnel, that things will get light. I mean, I've had a challenging time this year, even with myself and, and, and a, you know, medical challenge. And, and it does get pretty bleak. Uh, and, and as I was sitting with my therapist and speaking to my therapist, you know, he said, Jamie, there, you would never be able to appreciate the good times until you really work as hard as you're working to emerge from the difficult times. So the yin-yang theory that you're mentioning, Carol, is, uh, is pretty valid here. Do I understand you correctly? You've got to have bad times to have good times? Well, to appreciate good times, certainly you, you need to weather the bad times. And uh, huh. uh, when bad times paralyze you and, and you cannot move and cognitively you're kind of circling the drain and looking at life in, in very negative terms, um, it's very difficult, Ron, to get to appreciate any good times. But yeah, will you wave HIPAA? That, Can you wave your HIPAA and let us get your therapist on for a show? 
Oh, I would love to, actually. He's been like a part of my family. I would have absolutely no problem him. Well, I may have some problems. I'll have to definitely firewall some stuff. But but uh, Dr. Dominic Callahan would be a, a wonderful guest That's on the cool. show. Because well, uh, he has gone, gone through a lot. Well, you know, what I heard um, in this particular guest talking about was that you know, she recognized, she looked around and she said, we are in dark times. Now let's create good memories, you know, because when we get, when I get to the end of this, when we, when we get to the end of this, I want to make sure you, you, the person I love and am caring for, that you lived all you could despite the illness. And that when I look back, I don't just see illness in my rearview mirror. He had colon cancer and, and really uh, not a lot of time left to live. So, right. so, so, you know, so it's, I guess the question is, um, you know, can we, we intentionally, can we create um, a, a clearer space to be happy, to live fully, um, even though we are doing that, you know, with illness and death as our companion? We are, and there's coping strategies. I'm not taking anything away from your guest at all, because I think your guest is extremely powerful to see life like that. But I do believe that if you're given a... a a diagnosis where there is absolutely, you know, unfortunately, no, no, no answer for it. That's um, that's going to death is imminent. Um, there is a little bit more of an opportunity of acceptance, of of awareness, of being able to let go, to know that you're powerless over your loved one's illness, and that this is hmm. going to be. Let's make the best of the situation. I do think this is very circumstantial sort of type of things that not all caregivers have that in fact many caregivers live in the nebulous world as i don't know what's going to happen you know and so they do have a different look at this now hold that thought we're going to come right back to you if you just joined us you're listening to take 10 on caregiver sos on air i'm ron Aaron, along with dr jamie heisman and carol zerniel and she did say something jamie that was fascinating when they got the diagnosis the doctor said it's colon cancer Maybe you got five years, maybe. He was incredibly relieved because he thought he had it and thought maybe he had three months. She was devastated. Yes. Can Interesting. See that? I, I just had a friend of mine pass in the same way. He just went and found out he had stage four. Now, he was in a program of recovery. He was a 30-year recovering alcoholic who really believed in the program and that he had to let go and that life is unmanageable and he had to, you know, spiritually enter some other world of, of, of hope. And he was much more the inspiration for his wife who took it devastatingly huh. difficult. But for those people, for those caregivers, I mean, there are real coping strategies of, of that they must still enter to get to where your guest is. So not all people kind of enter this world like, like your guest, but that doesn't mean it's a, not attainable. I mean, if they, they follow simple steps, if they take fam, friends and families up on offers to help, if they get engaged socially with their own life, if they you know, basically start small in terms of taking care of their lives and, and, and go to doctors and, and exercise, if you will, at home, and, 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 and if they find some passion of something they also love that they can have as a parallel experience to it, um, things like that, taking a walk with your loved one and stuff. Think there's strategy to get to where your guest is at. I do believe your guest, however, was you know quite healthy prior to, and and I, I, I do think that also the inspiration of her loved one and his acceptance um, really gave her a light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you know, I thought um, it was interesting because she was uh, for her she was worried what's life going to be like without him. And what he was worried with is how is she going to, you know, what's her life going to be like without me? So they were both, you know, really. She On the was same worried. Page. She was trying to make sure he didn't suffer at all and he didn't see her worry. But they were really both worried about the same thing, which is why she was talking about being together but being alone because obviously he wasn't going to be there in that future. Um, but, you know, just that the idea, though, of. Of, of planning, of deciding, you know, just accepting reality. I think that was it. I mean, he accepted the diagnosis, and he was happy he had more time, um, and she came to accept it and said, all right, the reality is we're going to plan in three-month increments. So what fun, good thing are we going to do this three months? You know, what can we do in the next three months that is something you want to do that we want to do together or as a family? They did a series of bucket lists, but didn't call it a bucket list. No bucket list, but three-month increments. So, yeah. you know, I really like that strategy. 
I do too. I, I think that that's you know sometimes when we get older and we live with somebody a long time, we think it's love and there's hostile dependencies and people are angry and I, I think that they just both saw this particular thing um, out of their narcissistic heads. In fact, he got out of his head thinking about her. She got out of her head thinking about him. And at some point in time, they met in the middle, middle to manage their levels of stress. And um, and they did this together, and they were realistic. And, and, and it feels to me that, hmm. they, you know, water found its level with with them. And, and I think that if you do let go, and if you can take care of yourself, um, I think this happens and can happen with many couples. That's pretty cool. And seeing a therapist wouldn't hurt. No, 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 no. I think as you as you're going down this road with your loved one, it's a wonderful path. But I do think that you always need a place where you can absolutely become confidentially sort of disclosive about mm-hmm. what is really bringing up in do with you. So you don't have to belabor it with your loved one. Um, so you can find a place where you can give yourself credit and not have to live this world of guilt. So you can actually say what is authentically on your mind about the process, clear it out, leave it in a place with the person you trust, and then come out again and resume this, this, this reciprocal sort Perfect. of way of acceptance. Flat out of time. Thank you, Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Take 10 and Caregiver SOS On Air. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You ever wonder what you can learn from listening to WellMed Radio? Hi, I'm Ron Aaron. Our co-host, Cora Juke, is here, nurse practitioner, What can folks learn from WellMed Radio? You know, we talk about a lot of things such as chronic disease management, how to manage your diabetes, your blood pressure, but we also talk about social issues such as what WellMed offers and what you can do to improve your health and improve your life. And it's something that uh, you're you're newer to WellMed Radio, and I get a kick out of working with you. What is it you like about doing radio? Well... I like to make sure that my patients are educated, that they know how to take care of themselves, because I only get a brief moment in time to take care of them in the office, and I want to partner with them and make sure they have everything they need at home. Nurse practitioner Cora Juke, I'm Ron Aaron. You can catch WellMed Radio Sundays at 5 p.m. exclusively on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Be there. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com